Welcome. You are listening to Best Practices, a podcast dedicated to anyone involved in the maintenance, safety, operations, or profitability of industrial facilities and commercial properties. Hosted by Jared Wall and brought to you by South Point Solutions. Okay, hello. Glad to have you tuning in, and I am glad also to be joined on this episode by Jason Widener. He is a contract manager at Baker Roofing, and he is joining me today to teach me all about the roofing industry. Jason is an expert in all things roofs, and he was gracious enough to join me on the show to share his vast knowledge with me and with you, the Best Practices audience. Enjoy. All right, Jason, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to, to talk to you today. Um, you're the company you work for, Baker Roofing. Uh, I've I've heard a lot about um, just in. I know there's some there's some connections between between our companies. Um, some people that I work with know some people that you work with, and so there's some history between our companies like that. So I've heard a lot about your company, but then kind of in in preparing for for this interview, I did a little bit of research and. And the history of, of your company, Baker Roofing, is fascinating. I mean, it's more than 100 years old, which is almost, almost you know, it's more than a century old. You don't see that very often these days. Um, so, you know, kind of if you would, let's start this this interview. Just give me kind of an, an overview and a history of, of Baker Roofing here, if you would, Jason. Sure, man. Baker Roofing's past is actually pretty cool. First, I'd say it's, a, it's more of a family-owned and operated business. Uh, how it all started was a young man named Prentice or William Prentice Baker back in a long time ago, 1886 is where he was born or when he was born. And he was born right out, not far from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, he actually left home at the age of about 14 and he traveled to Raleigh, North Carolina in 1901. So it was, again, he was about 14 years old. And by 1902, he was actually working as a tinsmith. Uh, for about 50 cents a week. I um, mean, you know, if you can imagine what that's like today in time, 50 cents, not a lot of money. Um, by 1912, Prentice, or what people refer to a lot as WP, the original baker, uh, he got married. And uh, a, few year, a few years later, he opened his own business uh, in 1915 as named the Baker Rawls uh, Ten Shop, which would obviously grow to become what it is today, Baker Roofing Company. We always like to note here at Baker Roofing, there's a sign that was hung uh, by WP and it says, we shall do good work at a profit if we can, at loss if we must, but always good work. This remains the promise of Baker's culture even to this day and it drives everything Baker. With that said, that sign is actually still in Raleigh. It's, it's hung on the wall. People can read it every day. In fact, there's a version of it in every one of our branches, which we have it's 26 or so branches across the Southeast. Baker Roofing has grown to be one of the largest roofing or complete building envelope contractors in the nation at this time. Cool. That's a great overview there. Just, I guess, for for my own curiosity, what is what is a tin shop? What does it mean to be a tinsmith? <clears throat> well, that was a, many years ago. There are still tin shops today. We may call them sheet metal shops instead, but um, tin was, was terminology used many, many moons ago. 
And basically that would be where they would take sheet metal and form it into metal panels or metal flashings and stuff like that. That, that type of roofing was pretty popular in the early 1900s. Got it. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for that clarification. So, so Baker got started back in nineteen fifteen. That's that's a long time ago. I'm guessing you got started a, a little bit after that. So, you know, give me kind of tell me about your history and and how you got, you know, how you got to the point that you're at now, and and you know what brought you into the into the roofing industry. Those are good questions. <laughs> uh, well, I will say this: uh, it, me and my twin brother, we were we were working in construction in sixth and seventh grade. Uh, we had uncles who had, we were either working on a farm or working construction. We had uncles who had a farm and another one who had construction companies. So we moved all around, but uh, we were typically back then just go for, you know, sleeping floors and do whatever we were told to do. As I got older and life changes things, I actually was in fire sprinklers industry for a while as a fitter, but due to a, an injury in a car wreck, I was no longer able to continue to do that. And I come just lucked up and come and interviewed with the engineering company. And uh, here's local in Charleston known as one of the best engineering companies around, in my opinion, and went to work for them. And the department I went to work for was their building envelope department. So I grew from that stance of going to work for an engineering firm and listening, being taught, being mentored, being coached, learned all kinds of things that most people wouldn't even know exist. Working with uh, ADC Engineering, I was able to take part in the Roof Consultant Institute, now called IBEC, and uh, I took training and, and hard work and eth- you know efforts. I was able to get three registrations, one being the Res Roof Consultant, another one being Res Roof Observer, and as well a construction document technologist. I served on the uh, Roof Consultant Institute board for the Carolinas chapter for five years. I just took I just took to it for something about roofing that, you know, they say it gets under your nails and you can't get rid of it. There's something about it. I always tell people, you know, some people are meant to play golf. I'm not. But I apparently was meant to do roofing. I mean, I just soak it up and it's like it comes sacred nature to me somehow. So that's really how it went for me. And, and then in 2011, um, I came on board with Baker Roofing. OK, what? um What's your experience? I mean, so almost uh, almost twelve years with with Baker now. You know, what's your experience been with them? How you know what's it what what kind of, what's it a what's it like to work for as a company? And then, you know, I guess um, from there, I, I'd like to you know I want to learn specifics about different types of roofs and 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 all that kind of stuff and, and and whatnot. But you know, yeah, what's what's your you know give me your your little your personal overview of what you know what it's like working at Baker. Well, first of all, Baker's a pretty large company. It's it's not a small outfit. Now that has, you may say, some pros and cons, but I haven't seen a lot of cons to it. Actually, it's been more, much, much more pros. The the part with Baker, the company wise, is you know we stand behind our motto, just like I, I said earlier, always good work. But there's a vast amount of people there who are always willing to share their knowledge. The same as me, uh, helping people and go, did different training sessions and so on. The thing I noticed about Baker Roofing is just the desire to improve every day. We always want to get better. And there's never satisfied where we're at. We want to get better. We want to get better. There's always room for improvement. And I think they do a pretty good job 
of making everyone realize that and pushing everyone to that next step and level. Um, obviously, the personal level is is important if you you got to want to to learn. But they've done, I feel like they've done a good job at, of uh, coaching and mentoring people to for growth. It's a good growing company, and it's got a great culture. That's important. Yeah, I know. I think some of the some of the listeners that I have on this show are maybe younger and possibly looking at you know what they might do kind of going into a career. And so I feel like the 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 skilled trades and and stuff related to to buildings and HVAC and plumbing and electrical and roofing and and masonry and you know heavy heavy equipment operating and all that kind of stuff is is really there's a lot of opportunity out there for young people to kind of start and grow a career if if they're willing to like you say you know work hard and and be willing to learn and, and that kind of thing what kind of do, do you, does Baker tend to hire, you know, kind of young people out of college or out even out of high school, or is there some kind of an internship program or even maybe an apprenticeship program like that? There actually is. I mean, Baker's always looking to hire. Um, we do, like, I'm in the Charleston, South Carolina office. You know, we have 26 or so offices in the Southeast, as I said earlier, but I can't, couldn't tell you how many times I went to a high school here locally and, and was able to just speak to the to the different students uh, to see if anyone was interested in coming this way. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things today. I feel like we push our kids towards you have to go to college, and I'm not going to say you don't need to, but at the same sense, college isn't not cut out for everyone anyways, and it creates a lot of debt for people. And the construction industry as a whole roofing specifically, there's a lot of money to be made in that industry. I think people just say, oh, it's roofing, right? And it's so they don't give it, they kind of discount it and then don't give it the credits due. Look, roofing is truly more of a science than anyone would ever imagine. I mean, I know shingles look pretty simple and, and stuff like that, but, and, and it is, but it's backbreaking work. It's hard work. And it does require someone to have, you know, a brain on their head, in their head. You know what I mean? It's, I think a lot of people kind of discount the roofing industry as just a bunch of dumb people, but that is far from the truth. That's been kind of a common theme, um, you know, on the, you know, the show, this, this, this podcast just, just really got started, you know, this year. And so I'm only, you know, a handful, you know, a dozen or so episodes in here, but it's an interview show. And I've talked to a lot of people in the, in the industrial world. And I keep getting that same kind of feedback that like, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of money to be made. And if you're young and you're willing to work and you're smart, come, come try your hand here in the trades. I mean, I think, I think that's really a valuable um, piece of advice there. And well, you know, if I interrupt you for just for a second, the uh, you, you mentioned what was kind of, do we have any systems in place? So once we bring these guys on young or old, uh, we do have boot camps that we send them to that Baker Roofing has put together these training programs. Uh, if you want to be a roofer, you got to go to our boot camp. You got to do what we call TPO or single ply one-on-one. We have a built-up one-on-one where the guys actually go with hands-on with an instructor. And it typically is a week-long, if not longer, uh, type class. They show up every day, all day. Uh, it's at our Raleigh office. So of course, we can do some training at satellite offices, but we do have a pretty extensive training program. You could look at there being somewhat like an apprenticeship, but uh, 
the training on different modules is provided constantly. So, so it's not, it doesn't stop. I mean, because we have people coming on board all the time and there's a need and we don't want to put people in the field that don't know what they're doing. Sure. I think that makes us different than a lot of contractors. It's, it's nice having that built in training programs. Yeah, I could I mean, definitely. And so I guess with those training programs, you, you, you're able to take people of all different skill levels, whether it's a complete newbie to someone who's been, you know, been in the trade for, for a number of years and a be able to train them up from, you know, basically square one or kind of training somebody to do things the Baker, the Baker way, which, you know, I'm sure there's there's specifics to that, but I guess I'd like to maybe transition a little bit. You you, you mentioned that that there's there's kind of a science to roofing, um, and that you know yeah it's just shingles up there. But you know I kind of I want to learn a little bit more about you know just kind of the specifics of you know how a roof is specced, or I know there's obviously there's residential roofs and then there's commercial roofs and and you know for different kinds of roofs for different kinds of buildings so yeah maybe I guess maybe let's let's start with residential and, and you know kind of just walk me through a, a little bit of, of what you know <clears throat> about all that sure sure I mean it's we'll jump into that and I think roofing a whole myriad of different categories come to mind uh, first one, I do cast categorize it as residential, commercial, industrial, and even historical to, to kind of jump into the residential side of things. You're, you're looking at a roof system that typically is relying on slope. There's a wood deck. So it supports the shingles, the entire underlayment and the shingle system. Um, but water's typically run off pretty quickly. So those slopes are typically going to be four on 12 and greater. That's what we want to do. Uh, three on 12 is a little low. So we have to use special precautions, but, but the code says four and 12 and higher in, in, in most applications. So that's what we do with that in the shingle industry. You have a couple of different types of shingles. You have what a lot of people refer to as three tab shingles. And you have what a lot of people refer to as architectural. The architectural mimics it's an architectural laminated shingle. So there's actually two pieces of shingle laminated together by the manufacturer. And it's got cutouts to mimic a slate roof or a wood shake roof or some type of tile roof, which are all different types of steep slope roofs. Asphalt shingles, the architectural version is typically better looking, obviously. Uh, it's a heavier shingle. But at the same sense, it doesn't necessarily make it better. There's some three-tab shingles that are high quality as well. But normally in the industry, a three-tab is looked at as probably the lighter weight, cheaper, and less expensive shingle. And the architectural is the more expensive shingle. But at the same sense with that, as I said earlier, what's important is you got to have some slope. You need to be thinking what the life expectancy is going to be for those shingles. Uh, you need to be thinking about algae resistance. You need to be thinking about wind, wind resistance. Colors, there's a lot of colors available. Right now, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, it, there's not as many colors available as you would like. But that's just the sign of times we're dealing with right now. Uh, the different profiles, as I said, the cutouts, what's going to look good on your building from an aesthetical standpoint, that, that needs to be considered. Um, then there's warranty coverages that come with various types of shingles, and there's various types of warranties there. There's material-only warranties, and then there's some prorated labor warranty, labor and material warranty type warranties. But normally in the industry, if you're doing a residential project, you're probably looking at a 30, 40, 50-year shingle. And if you're going to be trying to get that out of it, you're probably going to be on the architectural side of that. 
So you're going to be using a little more expensive shingle, a little heavier shingle, a little better looking shingle. Um, and it does impact the value of your home in that regards. With that said, there's also metal roofing that could be done in, in residential. Now, that metal roofing may not be the exact same metal roofing we use in commercial. Again, it's got more typical in residential, you got more slope. So that, and there's a solid substrate. So it doesn't necessarily have to have some characteristics as a structural type panel. As I said, roofing is a science. There's a lot to it. And I'll say this real quick, too, is people may find it interesting, but there's over 25 different roof systems out there. And under each one, there's this or this or, you know, different types of things. And in the end, in a way, if you want to consider, there's probably 50 different possibilities of roofing. Residential is a very small, very small group of that. But when you get into industrial and you get into commercial and even historical, you know, it just starts expanding. Lots of things to be looked at and lots of things to be considered. Yeah, I mean, that is what I want to get into because I've been up on top of a bunch of commercial and industrial buildings, you know, roofs. You know, part of my job in the past has, uh, as an energy efficiency guy, uh, has been swapping out HVAC equipment, you know, older inefficient equipment with newer high efficient equipment. And so I walk around on roofs to get nameplate data and take photos and whatnot. And I don't know, you know, what the benefits or like the pros and cons of each different type are, but I've been on roofs, you know, that they've got little stones all over the top of the roof, uh, some that are, are black and uh, that seem like it's just one big piece of black, I don't know, rubber or, or some kind of um, uh, layer over the top. Or I've also seen ones where it seems like it's a bunch of different pieces of, of black rubber that have been kind of pieced together. I've seen white roofs and I mean, I know white roofs are good for energy efficiency, but I also know that if you're going to go up on a white roof, you better bring your sunglasses because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you will go blind, <laughs> go blind to trying to walk around on a, you know, if it's a 200,000 square foot building and you're up on top of it and that's a white roof, you are, it's, 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 <laughs> it's difficult to see. Um, yes. But I mean, I guess, you know, if you would, you know, obviously, you know, 25 is a lot. So maybe, you know, maybe talk about some of the most common ones or, or sure. you know, just how how maybe a, an interesting um, thought exercise would be how, you know, how what would go into a, you know, the owner of somebody who owns an, a commercial or industrial building, what would go into their decision as to what kind of a roof to put on their building? Yeah. So what we typically do, we, we get calls or leads and, you know, we have a pretty strong customer base and we will go to that building. We will look at this is from a re-roof standpoint, obviously, as an existing facility. We go there. We want to know what the facility's functions are. Number one, we need to know what's going on there. I mean, is it a fertilizer plant? I can tell you now a fertilizer plant has a whole different uh, ball game than just a warehouse, right? So what we do is we typically will come out, we'll investigate those things. You know, we'll ask a series of questions, get an idea of what the owner is thinking. I mean, we're the expert. Uh, so if we just rely on the owner by themselves, they they need us to tell them things like you're asking. So I would say that when we come out, we investigate the bill, we figure out what's going on, and then we will select the roof system that fits the fits the need, and then have a discussion with the owner you know, kind of where that price range is going to fall out at. But just a quick one it is, you know, commercial roofs include, you got asphalt built up roofs. They can be two ply, three ply, four ply, more, more layers, more redundancy. 
uh, quality roofs. Those are kind of the old school, to be honest with you. There's not as many four-ply grout built-ups going on. The one you said some rock earlier, it could could be pea gravel. It could be crushed granite. It could be slag. There's all kinds of different ways to put that surfacing on that built-up membrane. At the same time, it could be an EPDM single-ply roof, which is typically a black rubber-looking roof, and it, the rock you're talking about could actually be ballast. That whole roof membrane system is loose laid and then the rock is holding it down that's typically a, a bigger sieve rock than what we use on built-up roofs the asphalt roofs an asphalt built-up roof is in my opinion a cadillac it's tried true tested been around a very long time there's no reason to you know say it's not a great roof it is when you get to the single ply industry instead of the built-up single plies are going to be your thermosets and thermoplastic so that's where your epm black rubber goes that's where your TPO, which is thermoplastic polyolefin, is. It's the thermoplastic, so you heat weld the seams. You got your PVCs, and you got your KEs. You got CSPEs. You have a whole bunch of different thermoplastic membranes that they're actually heat welded together to seam and join them, while EPDM has to use a double-sided pressure-sensitive tape. You can't heat up EPDM. It's a thermoset membrane, uh, where the others are thermoplastic, which means with heat, plastic will flow. And we, we can seam those membranes together. Now, having a myriad of different roof systems at our arsenal, we have to look at that building and decide what is going to be the best fit for the dollar. It's seldom do people come and say, hey, Jason, I have a million dollars. Give me the absolute best roof in the market. It doesn't work that way. It's typically I have a problem. Let's identify the problem and let's see if it if it requires a re-roof or if it could be fixed. You know, if it can be repaired, that's the better option. From a durability standpoint in the roofing arena, again, the gravel built-ups are going to perform uh, pretty well uh, compared to the single plies, which perform, but they're not quite as thick and durable. want to just kind of address one thing here, too, is when I say a roof assembly or if I say a roof system, and this is the technical side of it, when we look at a roof, you may think roof and owners may think roof, and it's just that item that you're walking on. What we look at is the assembly. So what that is, it starts out with the membrane, and there's going to be some type of roof insulation, and there's going to be some type of roof deck. It could be plywood. It could be metal. It could be concrete. It could be lightweight and thin concrete with a metal form. It could be gypsum fill. There's all kinds of different decks, nailable and non-nailable. And so when we look at that, we it's not just to go pick a roof and put it out there. we got to decide how we're going to attach it. You talk about energy efficiency. Well, that in, that thermal insulation is going to provide that. Typically, in our industry, we use a lot of polyisocyanurate, which is good for about 5.6, 5.7 Rs per inch. That's your thermal resistance. South Carolina code on a re-roof makes us go in R20, but that may vary with different uh, states. Um, new construction is also an R20, but typically people are saying, hey, this is the efficiency on a mechanical system. I need the roof to have an R25 and R30. Well, then you would design it that way. But when we're putting that, when we're putting the assembly together, understand that was a deck, insulation, and membrane, there could be other things like uh, a vapor barrier or an air barrier, depending on the need of the building. If it's a pool building, for example, in auditoriums, that's a different mentality because your uh, vapor drive is actually reversed, at least here in South Carolina. But we have to think about those things. There's, a, there's actually a design that has to go into place to determine not only, all right, this is the system, but how are we going to attach it? So that new roof we put on, there needs to be a series of questions 
that is ad addressed. And it needs to be in writing. It needs to be clear. Uh, if, if it's not clear to an owner, will the contractor install what they kind of alluded to? Maybe, maybe not. Roofing is expensive. You know, we do million-dollar roofs, $10 million roofs, $500,000 roofs. You know, I know from a residential standpoint, you're in the 10 to 15 or 25 range typically. But when you jump on commercial and industrial roofs, it's very expensive. So our roof system has to meet fire ratings of some type, which is a question you ask your owner. Hey, what's, who's your insurance company? What's required by them? You want to check that out first. So we have to meet fire. We have to meet whatever thermal requirements that code's requiring us to meet. We do that with the rigid board insulation. And we need to have some slope. You know, if, if the roof's not draining good at all, do we need to put tapered insulation in to promote positive drainage to get the water off the roof? There's all kinds of different things that when you're as a roofing contractor, if you're a reputable roofing contractor, we're looking at all these things. It's our job. Uh, and then what we do is say, okay, here's, I'm going to use this insulation. I'm going to use this membrane and so on. But we also have to meet the wind rating too. And if it's a concrete roof deck, it's going to be an adhered system. If it's a metal deck, it's going to be a mechanically attached system. What that means is I'm relying on screws and seam plates to hold the membrane down. It'll billow in between those lines or those head laps. Uh, but we just don't go out there and say, well, just put 12 inch on center. You'll be okay. No, no, no. We calculate. I calculate my stuff. I determine what the wind loads are going to be for the field, perimeters and corners, et cetera, per ASE. That's the American Society of Civil Engineers. That's where that's the grand poopah of how to calculate wind as well as a lot of other things. But we will calculate what that wind loads are for the field of the roof, the perimeters of the roof, the corners of the roof. And then we'll go to our manufacturer once we've kind of tied down what we need to do for you and get them to provide us the information that meets or exceeds those pressures. Very important. We want a roof to be put on that not just keeps water out, but stays in place, right? That has a thermal efficiency needed that hopefully will drain right and can perform as we've built expectations to the owner that it will do. Wow, that's so much more involved than I would have ever, uh, ever thought. I mean, obviously, keeping water out is, you know, that's what everybody knows a roof is for. But I mean, so many other considerations going into it that, that that's, that's fascinating. I appreciate that overview there. Yeah. Kind of just out of curiosity, you were kind of, I mean, most of what you were talking about there is, is either new roofs or roof replacements. Um, what's kind of the breakdown in terms of Baker's Baker's business. How much is residential? How much is industrial? How much is new roofs? How much is roof replacements? How much is just, you know, roof repair? You know, how many how many times do you just get a call that's, you know, hey, we got a leak or we got an issue, you know, just come see if if you can do some repairs for us. Well, to start that it's and it's so so much we have a lot of layers to our onion if the, if you know what I mean, but out of the many divisions or the many branches we have there are some branches that's only providing a service service at this point, which what that means is repairs. There's small branches that we're developing and growing into. Uh, so we, we can do the re-roofs in those areas, but it's typically started out as a repair industry. That's a kind of our business model. And we're able to support and make customers happy. I mean, it's an important aspect of the job. To tell you how much baker roofing is as a whole, what percentage is service-related fixing leaks, commercial type, versus how much is new construction or in private type re-roofs versus concrete restoration repairs? <laughs> I would tell you that 
we do a tremendous amount aggregated for residential market across our footprint, a tremendous amount. But I would tell you that we do much more commercial repair and re-roof than that. So you got a company here that's, and I can't tell you the exact number off the top of my head, but it's, you know, it's over 200 million or 300 million, somewhere in that range. I, I'm, I'm thinking out of that, half of that, if not more, is probably related to just repair and re-roof on the existing side of things. Then you have a whole another area that's on the new construction side of those areas as well. And then you got to think about your concrete restoration, your brick work, through all flashing, your sealant joints and your residential guys. It's hard to say what portion of that is each one, but I would tell you that the re-roof, the roof replacement side is probably one of the biggest portions of our, of our company. Yeah, that makes sense. Just in terms of, you know, what's out there in terms of real estate and, and all that, but for both residential and industrial commercial, um, you know, when, when somebody does a roof replacement or, or puts a new roof on their building, obviously they want it to last a long time and they want it to, so uh, you, you touched on warranties earlier and obviously I know, you know, providing warranties and, and, and um, honoring warranties and whatnot. I know that is part of Baker's business model, but what, what would go, what would be, I guess two questions. What would be a reason that somebody's warranty might be voided? Like what are some things that somebody might do that, you know, maybe they just didn't know they shouldn't do that, that would cause a warranty to be voided. And then also what are maybe some, some best practices in terms of maintaining roofs so that they can get, you know, they can maximize the lifetime of them. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's good comments. Well, I will say first is just kind of cover what a warranty is. There's a lot of different warranties out there. There's what's called a material only warranty. And then there's a labor material warranty. It could be prorated. And then there's a, what's referred to as a no dollar limit labor and material warranty. Uh, and this is talking about membrane roofing for commercial uh, more or less in order to keep those one, one I'd like to say you need to understand what each of them means. A material warranty, material only warranty is just that. It's a material only warranty. So if it ever leaks, the owner is on the hook to make the repairs. Uh, the other side of that too is the manufacturer has no obligation to come and inspect the roof that's been installed. So a lot of contractors who do material only warranties for membrane roofing, they get to pick and choose what details they want to install, whether it be good or bad. And they are, in a way, the only resource you have. So it's it's a little it's a little bit risky for people to go into a contract with somebody with a material only warranty. So I want to make sure you're clear on that, and and for various reasons, obviously. Uh, the other side of that is the no dollar limit labor and material warranty. When there's a leak, make that note because that's an important part of it. When there is a leak, you have to contact the manufacturer with your warranty information, and they will dispatch an approved contractor, let's say Baker Roofing, and they will you will come to the job site, investigate the reported leak symptoms and tr- trace that back to the culprit. And if it is something that's related to the workmanship or the product itself, it will be fixed. The repair pricing and stuff will be paid for by the manufacturer. If you get out there, there's holes, people just poked holes everywhere, which obviously it does happen more than people would want to know. Those are not covered under warranty. There may be some special warranties that you can buy, but I would recommend against that because it's just not money well spent. 
With that said, the maintenance on a, on a roof is required as written into the warranties, very fine print. You have to read warranties. They're written by an attorney. Okay. So that's important. Know that. That warranty is a shield that the manufacturer stands behind. I'm always going to give you a warranty, um, but you need to understand what those limitations are. In most warranties, there's going to be a couple of phrases and clauses that says owner has to perform maintenance uh, twice a year. There may be one or two manufacturers that may allow it once a year, but most of them are twice a year. And then what does that look like? Well, Baker Roofing offers a roof assurance, what we call a roof assurance maintenance program, where we basically go out and we investigate any leaks that they may be having and then get back on the roof and then look at the condition. You know, you got some open flashings, there's a hole, there's this, uh, and, and basically collect observations of the various deficiencies. And then we give that to our owner. And we say, here's, here's your bill of health. Kind of like when you go to your doctor and uh, for a physical, you know, we don't know what's going to be yet, but once we get that under a maintenance plan, then we can stay on top of it. And, and the repair stuff becomes proactive instead of being reactive, which is a lot more costly as well. But if, if an owner does not maintain that roof and keep documentation, which is why it's so cool to, to bake roof and we provide written documentation for your files. If you're not doing that maintenance at any time, if you ever had an issue and you can't pro prove the documentation that you've done your maintenance, a manufacturer can, if they really want to, back out of the whole deal. Now, I'm going to say that they don't typically do that, but but if let's just say that it was a very, very costly failure. Let's say it was going to cost the manufacturer $300,000. They might be fighting you, right? You think about it. I mean, there's all of a sudden, it's not chump change anymore. We're talking $300,000. You're probably going to get a lot more resistance, right? Uh, and if it's deteriorated membrane, uh, for whatever reason, trees are growing, I mean, that's not their their problem. So they're going, they're going to fight that. So you, owners need to be aware. If you're not doing maintenance, at least twice a year, we recommend spring and fall to help get the leaves off and stuff like that. Um, you do take a chance that one day something bad can happen to your roof, unfortunately, and you may not be able to get the manufacturer to stand on that warranty. So it's important to do, do your diligence and do your maintenance. There's so many other things up on a roof that people have to maintain and have to replace and maybe even add to their roof, things like that. And, you know, when it comes to, I'm just kind of curious out of, you know, my own history, what, what makes the most sense in terms of processes or, or, or project orders? Like if, if, if a customer is going, look, if a, if a building owner is looking to replace, you know, some HVAC equipment up on the, some, some rooftop units, some, some packaged rooftop units um, up on their roof, or if they're looking to, you know, replace a, an exhaust fan, or if they're looking to add solar to their building, obviously that may or may not impact the roof, but what, you know, in your experience, what should people keep in mind, you know, as it relates to the roof when they're doing those kind of projects? Yeah. Well, first of all, if they we'll jump back to the warranty real quick in regards to how that affects what you're asking, the manufacturer actually does have clauses in their warranty that says, Hey, Mr. Owner, if you ever do an upfit, add a penetration, take out a penetration, alter the roof in any way, we want to know because they want to make sure that the flashings being used for the new penetration or the rework penetration, penetrations being things like pipes and curbs and various items uh, that 
that come up through the roof. They want to know it's being flashed and not just as being flashed, but being flashed in accordance with their manual. So these manufacturers have their own details. It's a minimum standard that they require. You can go overboard if you want. You can do any level you want, but you got to at least meet their minimum standards. So when there's an upfit coming in, we, in our service departments, all through our branches, are very, very good at upfits, uh, where they're cutting in the roof for the curb to be installed and so on. But what, what you really need to do from an owner standpoint, as well as a contractor standpoint, you know, if it's mechanical and so on, who's going to protect that roof? For example, if these guys are working around there and they got knives or screwdrivers or whatever, and they're dropping their tools on a single ply roof specifically, yeah, it's probably going to poke some holes. It's probably going to cause some damages. So there needs to be some level of protection always provided to protect the roof. Again, roofs are not cheap. They're out of sight, out of mind. So I know they don't get thought about as nearly as much as I think about them. You know, this is my business, but they're not cheap. It's going to cost you dearly to come back and have to patch. You could be patching. It could be $5,000 to repair the roof that the owner shouldn't be responsible, have to be responsible for if they, their contractor would have done, you know, better protecting of the roof system. Uh, with that said, as we work hand in hand with a lot of various GCs uh, and mechanical equipment type companies, HVACs, restaurant people, whatever cutting it and making sure that flashing is being done right. That's critical. Make sure that if it's going to be a large curb, that there's going to be a cricket behind it to direct water around it. We don't want to create a standing water condition if we don't have to. Um, there's a lot of layers that we have to go into to make sure that it's it is being done right. We also need to confirm what membrane. You'd be surprised how many times I've been called on jobs to come help a customer of mine who used a different contractor and they used a different product on a roof than what it was. So there's a PVC roof. They use TPO. Well, TPO and PVC, they're different formulations. You don't weld TPO to PVC. It won't happen. It just won't work. Uh, so they went and did a lot of peel and stick type products. Just wasn't a good quality. So the owners need to know, they need to know, or the contractors need to know, what. how are you going to do this? What's it going to look like? Uh, so that when it's all finished, you know it's done right, and it was done to the fullest intentions of what it was supposed to be. But you, you should, I do recommend that you notify your manufacturers when there are alterations, modifications being done to the roof. Does that answer that question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I think the maybe the only other little piece of that question that that might be left hanging is you know what about you know solar if people put put solar panels up on the roof how does that affect things obviously I mean to to my mind and you know you speak on this a little bit more but it wouldn't make sense to put solar on a building if you've got a roof that's 30 years old I feel like you would want to put that on a relatively newer roof so that I don't know. What, you tell me what you, what's your experience on that? Oh, no, you're zap, you're absolutely right. Um, and I've solar obviously is is not uncommon today. What I would tell you is, if the roof is a roof that is going to be, is going to be supposed to last twenty years, and it's year one, year two, then the protocol that needs to be done there is just that the proper protection be provided to the existing roof and and allow the solar to be installed. There's various types of solar on how it's mounted. Some are on racks, right, a big steel post, and they mount to that. Some are on skids, so it's kind of like a sleigh or a sled that's sitting there and it's ballasted down. Um, some have these new connections that work out pretty cool uh, that's making life a little easier uh, to flash and put solar on buildings. 
But if, if, if my roof was supposed to be a 20 year roof, you, you might say, well, the warranty is 20 years. So that's as long as the roof is going to last. And that depends. That depends on if you maintain your roof, uh, you might be able to get more than that. But if, if I'm in the second half, definitely in the last quarter of that life expectancy, I strongly recommend against leaving the roof system in place and putting solar. I, I highly recommend and suggest that the ownership look at going ahead and replacing the roof and putting in caveats. Solar panels can get pretty hot. Put in caveats that's not going to relate to another deterioration of your membrane or something. Uh, make sure you got all your bells and whistles. And I have run into now quite a bit of customers who want me to do re-roofs and they do not want the solar back on because they can't get it to work and the contractor has you know flown the coop on them hmm. or went out of business. So I, I'm not bashing solar at all. All I'm saying is get a company that's very reputable, that, that's been around a while and really knows their stuff. I'm a guru of roofing. I'm not a guru of solar. So I have to call and you know get someone who has a good track record and is still in business. Yeah. Cool. Well, the good answer. That's I appreciate the advice there and um, interesting stuff. I'm kind of on that, you know, the same kind of energy efficiency mindset. You know, tell me a little bit about white roofs. Um, you know, how do those work? And and you know, are there any you know metrics in terms of sustainability goals that that customers might have that that a white roof would help them achieve? I would tell you that it depends on your state and it depends on your power company far as if they have rebates or not, there are certain areas with certain power companies like Duke that has some plans. Unfortunately, in Charleston, South Carolina, um, it's Dominion Energy. And they're not, I'm not aware of anything for commercial right now with, with specific to having a white reflective. So you're talking about rebates in terms of like money back that a, a utility or a, a state government might might give back to a customer for putting in a white roof. That's what you're, I guess right, I, so I was asking tax. more so about, um, is there like X number of square feet of white roof equals this many greenhouse gas reductions or, you know, KWH reductions, things like that? I'm not, I'm actually not really aware if, if there's something that way or not, it would not be in my area. If it is, I know it's not around me. There could be something like that in some other geographic locations. But I mean, when you're selling it, when you're selling it to a customer, one of the benefits of a white roof is, you know, for, for energy efficiency purposes, helps, helps to reflect the sun away and maybe keep the building cooler. Are there, I mean, am, am I right about that? Is that one of the selling points of a white roof? And, you know, if so, uh, you know, what's, what are kind of the quantifiable, how, how would you quantify those energy efficiency benefits? So white roofing is obviously very reflective. So it does lower the heat gain and the heat load on the, on the roof and on the structure to calculate what the energy efficiency savings are. You really need to also calculate what the rest of the building is and what the mechanical equipment efficiency is capable of doing. If I was to sit here and tell you, you're going to save 10% on your electricity by, by having a really pretty white roof, I'm, I'd be lying to you. Um, there needs to be a full building envelope review there with a mechanical engineer contractor. Say, okay, here's the efficiency of the windows. Here's the efficiency of the doors. This is what the roof is going to provide. You got, But there's more to it than that. So 
it's not just one simple answer, but what I would tell you is in regards to reflectivity, it's something that's very popular and people want reflective roofs and, and I agree with them. It does help. There's a, something referred to as a heat, urban heat island effect. Uh, big cities typically, you know, there's a lot of pavement and stuff and a lot of roofs that just was increasing in load. And by putting white reflective roofs in place, it can reduce the impact of an urban heat island effect uh, that just ends up charging up the entire t- you know city with more and more heat. It gets really hot. like Atlanta, Georgia is is known as pretty hot little city. You know what I mean? And it, it's because of the urban heat island effect, as well as other big cities. But I will say this: in the industry, what we look at is what we refer to as a solar uh, reflective solar index, and it's an SRI which includes, it looks at the reflectivity of the material, but it also looks at the emissivity of the material. A lot of people go around just saying, well, I just need a reflective roof. Well, reflection is, is only one aspect of the equation. You want something with what is the emissivity? And those things together, the manufacturers test their products and provide us a solar reflective index. And most white single plies are going to be 100 plus easy, 120 and so on. At, at time of manufacturing and pretty much at time of install. Now, if you don't keep it clean over the years, then it's going to lose some of that reflectivity. But I will say that a white roof membrane compared to a black roof membrane, you could see a 50 degree swing, maybe more, but it depends on the slope. The slope actually impacts that too. Uh, so there's a lot of, again, there's so much into what a lot of people think would be simple. Like I said, there's a science to roofing. And there's a lot more to take in consideration. To explain emissivity, emissivity is the easiest way I would tell you is how quickly does something that has been energized with heat, whether it's been from radiation or convection or conduction, whatever form and method that energy exchange was, once it gets hot and the cooling starts, how fast can it let that heat, that energy off into the night sky? Uh, So there's some, obviously a plastic its mass isn't the same as a piece of steel, right? So it's emissivity. It's so much better at releasing its heat quickly, whereas the metal may hold it longer, right? So different products will have different degrees of emissivity. The manufacturer has that rating for their product, and then they bring in reflectivity and they measure it as a single test and are able to give us a solar reflective index. So we have something to go on. So a black or a mod bit roof, which is a modified bitumen membrane. It's more on the built-up side, asphalt-based side. Um, there are some white reflective products on those too, but the old school ones after about four or five years would be pretty dark and they absorb the heat and just sit there in like a heat sink. So as the, as the sun goes down, the roof starts cooling, but it takes a lot longer for that membrane to release all of its energy compared to a white you know, thermoplastic membrane. Uh, but I can't I couldn't tell you what the actual energy savings would be without actually looking at the entire envelope of your building and, and considering windows, doors, mechanical equipment, what was its efficiency and so on. Yeah, not just that probably, but also, you know, how is the building operated? Uh, if, if it's a, a, a building that's working three shifts and it's around the clock, then. You know, that night, the, the the dark roof at night that's causing the building to stay hotter, as you're describing, longer because it has lower emissivity and it's causing the building to stay hotter overnight than, than you know, a, 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 a roof that has high emissivity, if I'm following you correctly. If, if there's people in there overnight, it, they might require the air conditioning more 
than a building that has a white roof because the white roof has has let the heat out of the building so much better at night that you know those that second and third shift might be able to lower or turn off their air conditioning whereas a building with a a black roof that second or third shift might have to keep their air conditioning on and so there's there's probably energy efficiency there's obviously energy efficiency benefits associated with just that kind of operational uh, aspects of the building but i think like what you say it's it's hard to to quantify without really doing some some detailed calculations there and get, and probably taking some assumptions into account as well absolutely you're dead on you're dead on what you're saying it, just it, uh, we're, we're almost at an hour here um mm-hmm. but just before we wrap up i kind of i would like if you would, you know, take us take us out to a you know a, a roofing site, a roofing job site. You know what what's it look like? What what's it like to work on on a roof? You know what are some of the the things to take into consideration? You know, kind of tell me about that aspect of the business. Well, well roofing is is known for being hard work, obviously hot work when it's hot and cold when it's cold. You know, it's like we we really look forward to those days in between, you know, where you got a, a, a nice temperature and condition to work in. Um, going onto a job site, normally there's going to be noise involved. There may be odors involved, depending on the system type we're installing. The adhesive might have a strong scent. If it's asphalt, it's obviously going to have its own odor. You're going to see trash and stuff like that. And, and But what I would like to say you'd see, the first thing you would see would be a tidy, clean, uh, work site best we can uh, and a safe site. So we 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 praise ourselves on our safety. We have full time safety people. Uh, we hold our guys accountable. Um, safety is not an option; it's a requirement. So the first thing I would say is when I get onto a job site, if me and you went out to a job site right now, the first thing I'd want is for me and you both to have our proper PPE on uh, before we got on that site or got on the roof. And, but the second thing is, is when you got there, you say, wow, man, you got cones, you got guys tied off in full body harnesses. They're wearing their hard hats, their glasses, their safety, uh, in its fullest extent. And that is going to protect our guys, but it actually protects the owners and the tenants and it ain't in the building when we're being aware. So the first thing there, obviously if we're tearing roofs off, it's going to be a little dirty. There's going to be some sound involved and that's, the nature of the beast, you know, but what we try to do is manage it the best we can. So we typically get started really, really early in the mornings and we try to get out of there before then the afternoon thunderstorms hit, which is in Charleston is we, we could look for those thunderstorms every, every afternoon. But uh, so in addition to that, you'll see stacks of roof insulation that we use for that project, whether it's tapered or flat stock that we're going to provide the R value that we need. And we're going to provide whatever sec- primary, secondary slopes we need with crickets and so on. You'll see membrane being kicked out and relaxed. It's typically just, say, a 10-foot roll, 100-foot long. We'll kick that out and relax it. Then we'll put it in its place. Uh, if it's mechanically fast and you're going to hear screw guns going, you're going to see long screws. I mean, sometimes they're, I've, I've used 24-inch long screws before. Uh, not that common. That's true. But five, six, seven, eight-inch screws is not uncommon at all. Um, we're screwing down the insulation. We're screwing down the membrane, and we're doing that scientifically. But just you know, I mean, we're going there and we're putting it 12 inch on center, six inch on center, whatever's required to meet the wind load that we discussed earlier. So you're going to hear some noises. You're going to hear drills. You're going to see a lot of people bending over. Uh, it's, again, it's a it's a project site. Ultimately, you see that you should see our temporary seals at the end of the day, meaning that it's watertight before we go home. 
and that we have detailing done on the walls. We flash the walls, the curbs, et cetera, properly. And uh, we walk the roof, make sure it's in good shape before we leave so that we know if it rains overnight that it, we're not going to have a problem. Um, and next day we would come back in and check the interior if it did rain to make sure they have no issues and so on. But we have a good process in place and we got a lot of management people in place to oversee the crews and make sure everything goes smoothly and as planned. Jason, I've really enjoyed talking to you here. I think this was a, a really interesting um, and, and educational overview of what's all involved in roofing and, and building envelope, like you say. But um, I know I learned a lot and I, I hope my, my audience did as well. Um, if, if anybody is listening and would want to you know, learn more or reach out or possibly inquire um, as to maybe some 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 needs with your company. Where would where should I direct them to? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll add some links into the uh, the the episode description. Um, so just kind of tell me where I should should direct them to. Well, first I would say the easiest thing is bakerroofing.com. Go online, type in bakerroofing.com, and and go on our website and click on the various things that if you want to see some projects we've done or find out which branches where they're at, if they're in your area or not. You could also email me at my email address, jwidener at bakerroofing.com. That's J-W-I-D as in Delta, E-N-E-R at bakerroofing.com. No spaces. Or you can call my cell phone if you want, 843-323-7191. And then I can help you direct you to whoever you, you need to get in touch with. It may not be Charleston. It might be Greenville, South Carolina. We have an office. It might be Charlotte or Ash, Asheville or Greensboro or Raleigh or Wilmington or Greenville, North Carolina or Orlando, Florida or Richmond, Virginia hmm. or Tennessee. We have offices all over. So wow. I will do my best to direct you as quickly and as smoothly as possible to the right person. Excellent. Well, I will make sure to link all of those in the episode description here. But uh, thanks again for your time. And uh, I wish you the best of luck in your future here and, and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Have a good one, Jared. Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot again for listening. I, I really enjoyed that. And I hope you did too. Uh, that, that's one of the main benefits that's come from having started this podcast is, is getting to interview people like Jason and getting to pick their brains and learn about new and interesting things. And uh, I'm really enjoying that. So I hope you are too. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Make, make sure to tune in again next episode and I will see you then. Bye. Bye.